Hello, are we on the air yet? Welcome to the Core Performance Podcast, taking you one step closer to self-mastery on and off the course. Fire up that growth mindset, and let's dive into the core of elite golf and human performance. Now, here's your hosts, Ian Highfield and Andrew Losey. Hey, Core Performance Podcast listeners, core golfers, and high performers everywhere. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Losey. On this podcast so far, we've had golf coaches, professional golfers, Ian Highfield and I speaking on the show so far. But today we have a little bit of a different guest. He's still a high performer. His name is Joe Corsione, and he has gone through an incredible transformation throughout his life from being someone with an addiction to Adderall to now being a inspired, fulfilled, high-performance individual. He's completed in Spartan endurance races, Ultraman races, Ironman races, and has more planned for the new year. Today, I'm looking forward to hearing more about his story and diving into the mind of a high performer. So without further ado, I welcome Joe Corsione to the podcast. Joe, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Andrew. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share some insight with your listeners and for having me on the podcast and for all your kind words, man. It's a true honor. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be a lot of fun. I agree. It's going to be awesome. Joe, why don't we start right at the beginning? Can you tell, tell our listeners kind of where you started your journey when maybe you were a teenager in your 20s? Where did you start your journey with going from somebody that struggled with addiction to now being a high performance individual? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Thank you for that. So I think a lot of people will see where I'm at now, right? Like you said before, doing Ironmans and Ultramans and Ultra races, all these things. And the preconceived notion is, oh, he must be just a gifted athlete. He must be someone who's just genetically wired differently than me to be able to do these things. The reality is that wasn't the truth at all. In fact, in high school and most of my life growing up, I was the most unathletic kid that you can ever imagine. Was always picked last in every single pickup game. Uh, Was just not great. Cut from the football team, like whole nine yards from there. I was on the golf team, but I can say, because I know we got a lot of golfers listening here, that I am far from anywhere of the uh, pro caliber on there, but it was something that I enjoyed. Um, But in terms of like running or cardio or anything like that, I was trash. And uh, growing up, uh, it was just never really a big focus in my life. Well, then I went, I went to college. So I went to college at Penn State. Um, and in the moments where I was sober and I was by myself, I just felt this emptiness inside of me. And uh, I wasn't happy. Uh, I was in a relationship that I just totally bombed because I was unhappy. I was pushing friends away. I didn't have a good relationship with my family. Like my finances were going in the trash and things were just going down a really, really bad path. And in that moment, when uh, things started to just go really, really wrong, I decided to just get some help. And the first thing that I did was just pick up my first self-help book ever. It was Unleash the Power Within by Tony Robbins. And it started to plant this seed in my head that change is possible. That was like the whole kind of notion of the book is that whoever you are now doesn't necessarily decide who you are in the future. And so at the time, I really thought that who I was in that in that moment, right? Addicted to Adderall at the time. That was my drug of choice, right? Uh, Someone who wasn't athletic, all these like stories I was telling about myself, I thought that was my destiny. But here in that book, 
totally flipped the switch in my mind. And I had this new belief now that change was possible. So for me, I said, okay, well, what do I got to do to, first of all, beat this drug addiction? Because that's like the one thing that's really just causing all this, this crap that's happening in my life. And I encourage anyone who's, you know, struggling with their golf game or struggling with their athletic performance or struggling with their relationship, go to the core and find out what that thing is. That's kind of stemming all these symptoms, right? Find the root cause as opposed to just healing the symptoms. For me, it was the Adderall addiction. Uh, And one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, I was just unhealthy and I just felt like crap and I took it to feel good. So I started to just get into exercising. In fact, I started with yoga, was doing yoga every day. And then the person who I was learning from yoga from was saying, Hey, like you should try weightlifting. So I was like, okay, started lifting some weights. And then when I wanted to put it to the test, I signed up for my first Spartan race, a 3k race. Now during this time, I started to feel much better moving around, pushing myself, challenging myself because all this stuff was so hard and new to me. And I found that as I was able to do that, I was also able to decrease the amount of Adderall that I was taking each day. Because in the moments when I was pushing myself, I found that I was not only getting better on the field, but I was getting better at life because I was learning how to deal with those struggles and adversity. So it gave me more confidence and more skills to be able to tackle those addictions. Now, that first Spartan race I mentioned before, I did it. It was three miles. I couldn't even walk the next day. I was like, holy crap, like this is embarrassing. Like I need to get good at this thing. I'm committed to get good at this thing and I'm going to do it. And so I signed up for an eight mile Spartan race. And through that process of training, you know, I started taking the Adderall much less. I started pushing through. I signed up for an eight mile and then I eventually signed up for a 15 mile Spartan race. And after completing that 15 mile Spartan race, it was a come to light moment where I was like, damn, I was someone who couldn't run at all in my entire life. And I just completed 15 miles in just such a short amount of time. Now, this is like a year and a half time span. And I was like, well, if I can do that, I can go from being addicted and dependent on this drug to someone who's not. Who says I can't change that one thing if, uh, you know, if I've already proven that I can change my athletic performance, I can change my mind, I can change who I am. And so from that point on, it was about two weeks after that race, I just flushed all my all my pills down the toilet and never looked back ever since. And sure, it was hard. It was difficult, but it was in those moments when I put myself in the tough situations through Spartan racing that I got to learn that embracing discomfort will lead to better performance. It will lead to better happiness and most importantly, more fulfillment. And when you have that fulfillment, you don't need the drugs. You don't need the alcohol. You don't need these external things that you do to feel good. You just feel good. And so when I came to that, that moment where I realized that uncomfortability is the key, that's where I started getting into the ultra endurance races, the Ironmans, the Ultramans, the long distance stuff, because I'm not in there just training for those races and being a better athlete. I'm training for life to handle the tough times when it comes through. And I just became so obsessed with that. And quite frankly, I enjoy it as masochistic as that sounds. But in the end of the day, um, it's, that is the key reason why I do what I do. And every time I'm in a tough moment in a race, I think, hey, man, if I can get through Adderall addiction that I've been battling for 10 plus years, um, I can get through this race. And so that's that's what led me to the success today. And that's where I came from. That is awesome. That is such a such a cool, uh, you know, short description of of where you started to, to where you are now. An amazing journey. And there's lots of parallels, too, in the coaching world where. Um, at core golf, we try to put our kids and our students through adversity. Um, and it's, and it's 
you know, you, you, obviously it's, it's surrounding golf, but there's tactics and just learning how to deal with that, that you can lose or you can use for life. You know, I had a student once who reacted negatively to just practice he and just hit poor shots in practice and would just get so frustrated. And there was a little bit of kind of rewiring that we needed to do. And so I'd love to know, just growing up, were you a positive person? Were you a, a very competitive person? Because obviously I know now, obviously you're trying to compete and get through this, you know, to have a better life, but are you a naturally competitive person? Is that something that kept you going throughout, you know, your addiction and then also now through all of your races? Yeah, great question. And I, I definitely want to emphasize what you said before of what you're doing with, with, your, with your clients through your coaching is putting them through adversity and especially managing their mind, right? Because you can be the best golfer in the world. And I know this because I, I play golf, obviously, again, not to your level or some of the, the, the people that you work with. But I remember all of my worst rounds were the ones where my head wasn't right. And all of my worst runs are the ones where my head isn't right. All of my worst races are the ones where my head isn't right. And so a lot of people think it's like, I just need to hit more balls or I need to get in more miles or I need to do those things. And in the end of the day, it's not those things. It's you need to get your mind right. Because when you get your mind right, your game corrects, your life corrects, and you start to perform at the level you are. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's so important what you guys are doing. And I highly recommend anyone listening to think about those things if you're stuck in your game, in your life, in your relationships, anything like that, and attack those things first. So I wanted to definitely touch on that and emphasize that. Um, but on to your question about have I always been competitive? Um, I think it's always been in me, um, to be honest. And it's always been this deep this deep force that's been inside of me that honestly hasn't been awakened until really most recently like right now so the reason why i say that is because growing up uh you know i wasn't necessarily outwardly competitive and the reason why though is because i knew that i was or i thought that i was bad at things and so i was like well if i'm bad at things i'm not going to even try right because Think about it. If you know you're going to be bad at something and you're inherently competitive, you're not going to put yourself in the ring because you don't want to look bad. And that was my whole thing. Like, I just didn't want to look bad. I didn't want to like just embarrass myself and any of those things. But as I started going through my journey, like I started to, you know, again, embrace discomfort. I started to embrace looking bad and being bad. And the reason why you want to do that is because you're never going to get anywhere if you can't embrace not being good at something, because that's where a lot of people fail, right? They go on the golf course and they shoot, you know, 10 over par when they wanted to shoot scratch. And essentially they're like, well, like I suck, I'm not going to be good. And then they don't continue the progress. In the end of the day, though, looking at those things, right, and just saying, hey, I shot 10 over par. Why did I do that? Where am I at now? What do I need to do to get better so I can shave off five, five strokes off my game, four strokes off my game? Or in the running aspect, it's, hey, I didn't place where I wanted to place in my race. What do I need to do to get better? And again, it goes back to that belief of who you are in that moment is not necessarily who you're going to be down the line, right? And so on the competitive side for me, you, I think in order to healthily, like, be competitive in a healthy way, you also have to carry the notion that you're going to be bad at sometimes. Because uh, for me, like that was the one thing that uh, buried my competitive side down is that I just 
didn't want to look bad. So I never unleashed it. Now though, knowing that I say, Hey, I know I'm going to suck. I know that there's going to be times that I'm going to be bad. Now I'm unleashing it in full force. And now it's keeping me through. So I don't think it's as much of the competitive drive that kept me going. It was the willingness to look bad and be bad that kept me going because that's what throws off a lot of people towards their goals in sports, in their career, in life, anything like that. And so, uh, but once you master that and you are competitive, you're not only able to channel that competitive energy, you're allowed to keep your head straight when you do it because you hit a bad shot, right? If you're, if your mind's all about being competitive and winning, you're going to throw a fit. But if you hit a bad shot and you say, Hey, like I'm competitive, but that was a learning opportunity for me. Like now I know what to do better next time. You're going to be unstoppable. So that's what kept me going uh, through my journey for yeah. sure. More than the competitive side. That is awesome. So, so there's a, there's a guy out there by the name of Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm not sure if you've heard of him before, mm -hmm. um, but so one of his things that he talks about is how thoughts become feelings, which then you can act on those feelings, which then become habits. And then that kind of becomes who you are. So you know, there's a lot of people out there and I put myself in that category too, where I kind of, as a young person would get a little bit negative. And then I had to kind of change the way I think to just realize, Hey, you know what, there's a world of possibilities out there of, of outcome. Where did you learn this kind of way of thinking that there's so many different possibilities of, of things that can happen? And even if you're not succeeding or at the level that you want to be at that you know what there's that growth that can happen and it's not just okay i can't succeed right now so i'm never going to succeed great question so i love that you brought brought up dr joe because you know his lessons are something that has helped me along my journey and what he teaches is very similar to the answer that i'm about to say in here is you have to learn to manage those thoughts and beliefs as if they are not true because a lot of times, and Dr. Joe says this all the time, right? Your thoughts create your emotions, your emotions create your actions, and it's just this spiral from there. But the way to break that chain from your thoughts going to your emotions and then therefore your actions is whether or not you believe those thoughts that come through. So what do I mean like this exactly, right? Let's just say, you know, uh, I'll give you an example from my personal experience. I remember when I was in my first 30 mile Spartan race and uh, I've never ran more than a marathon in my entire life. And here I was at mile 27. It's pitch black outside. I am so chafed up. Like every time my like legs are running, it's just like this insane pain. My legs are destroyed. I'm tired. Like I just don't want to be out there. And in that moment, thought pops into my head and says, you can't finish this race. Okay. So let's just say for a second, most people, and what I used to do in the past before I learned this concept is that I would see that thought and be like, oh, it's true. So if you believe that thought to be true, what's going to happen? You're going to feel bad, the emotion right there. And then the action that's going to come from it is you're not going to finish the race. Or if you do, it's not going to be in a way that you're going to be proud of, right? Because you believe that thought. Now, what did I do in that moment? Now, knowing this information, I had that thought come in saying, you're not going to finish that race. I look at that thought and I said, that's not true. That's just my brain's protective mechanism telling me to do this, right? Whether it's an old belief or trying to keep me safe or anything like that. And I said, no, that's not true at all. And I kept moving forward and I ended up finishing the race strong, running through the finish line, everything like that. Now, why does our brain do this if our thoughts aren't true? Well, like I said before, your brain is a protective mechanism. It's not meant to keep you happy. It's meant to keep you safe. So in the moments of difficulty, your brain perceives that event as danger. And so to get you out of that danger, it's going to try and tell you every single thing to try and get you out of that situation.
Now the skill, and I've learned this through Dr. Joe Dispenza, who you mentioned before, but many other people, right? Tony Robbins is, again, probably the one where, you know, the way that he describes it is the one that uh, most resonated with me, is that in that moment, when those thoughts come in, if you don't see them to be true, and you just realize it's the mind and not your mind, right? It's just a thought. It's not your thought. You you disattach from the thoughts and you're able to choose which thoughts go into your mind, right? So every time I'm on the race or every time I'm on the trails, right, in a race or in an Ironman or something like that, I'm always playing guardian of my mind, looking at the thoughts that come in. And I'm choosing to believe the ones that empower me and choosing to see the ones that don't empower me as false. I'll never forget, you know, recently I did an ultra, Ultraman endurance race, which for those who are unfamiliar, it's a three-day event, 6.2 miles of swimming, 271 miles of biking, and then 52.4 miles of running. It's more than a double Ironman. And I remember in the last god six miles of that that race i my knee was just blowing up it was immense pain like it was dark and i was i was crying i was in so much pain and my brain was just saying you need to walk and i looked at that and i saw that thought and i had a conversation with it and i said no i can run a little bit more and i ran all the way to the finish line for those last few miles but in that moment if i let that thought dictate what i believe to be true I would have never finished or I wouldn't have finished strong. So my key and my lesson is that, you know, learning that our thoughts aren't ours and that negative thoughts only have power over us if we believe them to be true has been monumental to the way that, you know, I attack, I attack these ultra endurance events and then therefore perform at a higher level. Yeah, that is, that's simply amazing. And, and for all of our listeners out there, it's, it's kind of a, a, a different level of thinking about it would be kind of a think it into existence or speak it into existence kind of way of thinking. Um, and to relate it to golf, it's, it's, we see all these challenges. You can see all the challenges on a whole. You can see the bunkers, you can see the hazards, the out of bounds, but instead you can think about all the possibilities and choose to think about the possibilities of hitting a tight draw down the fairway or finding the fairway, keeping the ball in play, a really solidly struck shot, or just picturing a beautiful golf swing that you know produces, you know, that shot that you want, that good outcome. Um, It's simply incredible, Joe, um, that way of thinking. So you just mentioned um, your Ultraman race, was it? Yes, Ultraman, yep. So, So we'll get to your last couple of weeks in a minute, but um, can you tell us, not including those last couple of weeks, what was your hardest race that you've done, your single hardest race that you've done? What made it so difficult? And what do you, I mean, obviously we know now you just mentioned, you know, your skill, that skill of thinking differently, choosing, choosing what thoughts to believe and what not to believe as maybe something to help you power through. But what made that race so difficult And then what does your mind go, like, where does your mind go throughout a race that is, you know, hours and hours long? And what can we all do to get our thoughts back to a positive place under so much stress? Yeah, great question, man. You're you're asking awesome questions and you're a great host. And this is, this is an awesome conversation. So I would say the hardest race that I've ever done was that Ultraman race. Now, the reason why I say that is not necessarily because the distance is just absurd, but I actually did that race completely on my own, meaning like it wasn't a registered event. I literally like picked out the routes. I just put it on myself. It was completely self-supported. Like I had to like do all those things. And that's why it was so hard because 
when you think about, you know, an Ironman or a marathon or any of those things, you have people around you, you have aid stations, you have all this support to help you even when you're feeling like crap. But in this race, I didn't have any of that. Like it was just me, myself and I and the logistics in there. The reason why it was just so, so tough is because in like, you know, when it was the last few miles of the swim or it was the last few miles of the bike or the last few miles of the run, my mind was just filled with those negative thoughts. It was, I was pain every single where, like it was just dark outside because I would just do this into the nighttime and there would be nobody around me. No one cheering me on, no one just saying, you can do it, Joe, like none of that. It was just me and my negative thoughts. Now that is, I think, so indicative of well, many times in our life when we feel our lowest, right? When we feel our lowest, we're in the times when it's dark, when we're in pain, when things aren't going right, when you're just feeling like crap and that voice is just chirping at you and no one's around there to support you. Sure, it's easy to feel good when you're hanging out with your people, but I always say the measure of fulfillment that you have in your life is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself, right? So in that moment when I was by myself, again, I had to be sentry guardian to my mind, making sure that those thoughts coming in that I was just bashing them down. But at the same time, I also had to do this for me. It wasn't for the crowd. It wasn't to, you know, get the medal. I had to do this because I wanted to do it. Most people do it for the fanfare or the glory. And that's totally fine. I'm not knocking that. But in the moments when those things don't exist, you're going to crumble. It's what do you want to do? You need to tap into that deeper why. And in those moments when I was alone, I had to reach it out. For me, my deepest why is not only to get better a person myself, but to inspire others through my actions. Because I know, you know, I have, when you reach out to me and say, hey man, like it's so inspiring. I had people reach out to me saying, I signed up for my first marathon or I've been struggling with this thing and seeing you cross the finish line at Ultraman, like help me to get over this struggle that I'm facing in my life and my relationships. In that moment, I realized, I said, hey, I can set an example right now for other people or I can just sit here and then I can disappoint all the people that are out there. Right. And so it was knowing that why that kept me going, knowing that what I would do, the example that I would set would set something not just for the other people, but for myself that it was going to get me through the finish line. So it was so tough because it's so easy to find that why when you have other people around and to, to have that boost of the crowd. Um, but in those moments, man, of just me being out there by myself and not even racing with anyone, that was the darkest thing. And so and to your question of like, how can, how can we learn to push through those things? Number one, have a compelling why, something that drives you. Maybe it's to set a better example for your kids, for your spouse. Maybe it's to just find this, this power inside of you that's going to keep you through the dark times, right? I always say, you know, uh, another one of those races are in my cookie jar. And what do I mean by that is in the moments of darkness, I go into my mental cookie jar. It's not a physical cookie jar, but I pull out all these cookies or, or memories of me finishing those races and knowing that, hey, if I could do that, I can do this right now. Like maybe that's a why, or maybe it's just, hey, I want to be the best in the world and that's going to help you to drive. Whatever that is, find that reason. And the number two is do it for you and, and not for others. Sure, I know I mentioned before, I'm doing it to inspire others, but most importantly, it's to inspire myself um, because, hey, everyone can say like, listen, Joe, like I don't think you're inspiring at all. That's totally fine. At least I inspire myself and that that's the big thing too. Um, so find your why do it for yourself and you can get through anything, even when you're totally by yourself. And that's going to, that's going to drive you to not only success, but fulfillment. 
That's awesome. You, you answered my next question. I was going to ask you about, you know, these next three races and, and what the why was. And, and to be honest with you, you know, I've, I've followed, followed you for, for a number of years now and, and was really interested in, in seeing you, we'll get into it, but seeing you do these three races. And I, did, I didn't know that, that your Ultraman that you did, and, and so correct me if I'm wrong, but you said it was, so it was like over, just over six miles of swim and it was like 270 of biking and yep. then what was it, over 50 of, of running? was it? Yeah. 52.4 miles, which is a double marathon basically. Wow. And so, yeah. so, so to clarify you, that wasn't a, a setup thing by some organization that was, I'm going to put myself through this and get through it to help inspire other people, which is one of, one of the things that you, you want to do in your life. Um, that is, that is simply remarkable. That is so Thank cool. You. So, so let me shift gears before we get into your last couple of weeks this is something that I've kind of been dealing with. I, you know, I, I feel like I can put myself and put my body through a fair amount of stress. And, um, as some of the listeners may know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving, um, from Mm. Florida up to Massachusetts. Um, one of the things that I would do, and I know that you've seen this is I I'll go to the gym and work out really early in the morning. I'll put myself through that. I'll do a really hard workout and have a great day. And I kind of feel like personally, I have a maximum level of stress that I can put myself uh, under, like just self-induced stress. And that, that can be going to the gym, that can be handling everything that I need to do for this move, it can be working long hours at a job. So where, I, and, and I, don't want, I don't want this to be limiting, um, but what are your limits? Like, like what at what point do you say I've got to take a break or, or, you know what, I'm really hurt. How can I, how can I help recover myself and what do I need to kind of uh, focus on more or maybe put on the back burner a little bit? Because I know a lot of kids, you know, they, at the core Academy, they, we've got a lot of smart kids. We've got a lot of talented golfers. They, you know, they're going, they're, they're putting pressure on themselves and there's outside pressures just being a kid. So how can, how can our, our golfers start to handle, you know, the stresses of life and, and kind of um, learn to focus on things that are important right now? Yeah. And you asked this question at a perfect time right now, because after my string of races, I've been injured. I I actually went through an injury that I'm currently rehabbing right now and I'm not running for, you know, the next uh, two or three weeks. And so uh, it's a very, very timely question that you asked this. Um, So I always say most times when people think that they can't go any further, uh, they are lying to themselves and it's not necessarily, you know, because they're weak or anything. Again, it's, it's letting that mind go in. So to your question of saying, what are your limits? I truly believe that the only limits on anyone is the one that your mind is putting on you. If you tell your mind like, Hey, listen, I can only run a marathon and then I'm done for that. The reality is you're only going to run a marathon and go from there. But if you are always thinking, what can I do more? What can I do more? Or maybe I can do this, or I can run 35 miles. I can run 40 miles. The limits are endless. So if you're telling yourself, hey, I can only shoot two under, and that's probably the best that I can go, right? Maybe you've only been shooting that score for like the past two years and you're not seeing improvement, all those things. And you're like, well, I guess, I guess that's my limit. I guess I've just kind of hit how good I can get. 
BS. That's like your mind placing that limit. Once you can get rid of that limit and get rid of that governor, right? Like I always think about like yeah. governor on a car, right? Or a golf cart, right? Like yeah. you can't rip those golf carts out in the course because they have a governor that can go. But have you ever ridden a golf cart without a governor? Those things can zip. And it's not that that golf cart couldn't do that before. It's just that it had the governor in that system telling it not to go there. You take that governor off your mind then the limits are just endless and you're going to end up doing way bigger things that you ever thought you were. Now, the dilemma here, and I love that you brought this up, is like saying, okay, like, sure, no limits is great. That's inspirational. It's going to have you go far. But sometimes there's going to be points where you need to lay off the gas, 100%. I always say for things like muscle soreness or things where like you're feeling tired or out of like shape or whatever those things, those things don't matter. Like you need to show up consistently, especially if you want to be the best. And I always have a kind of rule for this is saying, let's just say, you know, you have a plan and you're a golfer to, you know, hit the links, you know, five days a week, right? And you're on day three and, you know, you're doing well. And then next morning's day four, you wake up, you're a little bit sore, right? Not towards injury, right? You're tired. You're feeling a little like crappy and burnt out. I always say, show up for that day show up for that day because nine times out of 10, you're going to feel so much better going out there and getting through that resistance and then following through on your goals than if you didn't. Now, the next day, let's just say you wake up even more sore, you wake up even more tired, maybe you feel a little burnt out. Then I say, okay, it's okay to just take a rest. But if you get through that first day, that's going to tell you everything, right? Because more times than not, when I've done this in my life, that second day, I'm back to myself. I'm feeling good. I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, go on and do that. Now, if you wake up and you start to feel something that's close to injury, right? A sharp pain, something that's just, you can't get full range of motion or just it's, it's, it's seeming pretty serious. And I'm glad again that you asked this for me because this is something that I personally struggle with on my journey, right? Because I have these beliefs of pushing through pain and like getting through adversity and all this stuff and rah, rah. So like, you know, I had this knee injury, like for example, like just, and I don't advise anyone to do this. I'm not saying this is a recommendation. I'm just saying this to, to, uh, to get through a point. After I did Ultraman, I got this really, really bad knee injury in my left leg. Um, and after that, I ran another Ironman race and a half Ironman race in two weeks after that with the injury. Um, now, was that smart? No, I don't recommend anyone to do it. Um, why did I do that? We can go into that. But, uh, but to go to the sake of the story, now that I've gone through those races and completed that goal, I'm telling myself, hey, I can't run anymore. I'm going to make this thing too much serious. And it's being able to look at the long-term picture as opposed to the short-term picture. Now, I will be honest. It's been mentally so, so difficult for me. Um, you know, not being able to run, not being able to get out there, not being able to do the things that I love. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's emotionally really difficult. And it's one of like, it's one of the hardest challenges I've ever faced in my entire life, if I'm being honest. Like, even harder than the races that I've been on. But I always got to remind myself that what I'm doing right now, the three weeks that I'm not running is going to set me up for success in the future. So if you're going through, you know, a rough time with your body, a rough time with your mind, maybe just mentally you're not there or anything like that, take care of those spots like really, really uh, diligently. Um, because if you try and push it too hard in the short term, you're going to like really miss out on the long-term goal that you want. So it's finding the balance between not setting limits on yourself, but also not being completely stupid and sacrificing yourself from the longevity of what you're trying to do. Because in the end of the day, 
injury prevention, uh, longevity, being able to be consistent, that those are key pillars of success in any sport, any life, any life event or anything like that. So uh, no, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but it's something that I think about, quite frankly, every single day since my last race. So uh, I'm glad you asked it. Yeah, that, that you made a great point there. You know, obviously, it's, we don't want to set limits on on the things that we can do. And we always want to set our sights as high as we can and set our goals, you know, and, and try to achieve them. And, and some of our goals can be very long-term. And I know that you have long-term goals for what you want to do. And, but I like how you mentioned that, you know, in the short term, you do, you need to take care of what you need to take care of. So that way, mm-hmm. long-term you can go and achieve what you want, uh, what you want to have happen. So with that, Joe, let's, let's, uh, why don't you fill in the listeners about those three races? We, we know we did the Ultraman that was self-imposed. Mm-hmm. What were the next two races? And, and can you take us through the roller coasters that go on in, in, in those couple of weeks and those long miles of, of racing? Yeah, hundred percent. Thank you for asking. So yeah, so I had the Ultraman and I did that in November 11th of this year. So right now we're recording this in December. So it was almost actually exactly a month ago. Yeah, exactly a month ago to this date. So I did that first race and that's where I injured myself initially. And seven days after that, uh, I had a full Ironman race. So basically, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with an Ironman, it's 2.4 miles of swimming open water, uh, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon run all back to back to back. And I had that six days after Ultraman. Now, meanwhile, I'm injured. Like it hurts to walk. And I'm thinking about all this crap that I have to do on the course in just six days. And let me tell you, this wasn't just like minimal pain. I mean, like I couldn't run more than half a mile without like just intense pain. So I had to emotionally just do everything I could just focus on recovery, right? In that moment, I could have kept pushing, but again, it was like, okay, I need to make sure that I can do whatever I can to get to this race. So went to a physical therapist, chiropractor, you know, I have KT tape bandage all around up me and had it into there. And it was just trying to focus on anything I can do to show up in the race. And I told myself this, like I said, Hey, I'm pretty confident I'm going to finish this race. But in the back of my mind, like I also had this thing of saying, Hey, like if I'm going to sacrifice myself long-term, like if I'm going to like break my leg or anything like that, um, I'm going to lay off the gas. Um, so to, to go back to the last question too, with the same thing, it's all dichotomy, right? It's like, you, you have to, you literally have to believe that you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. But you also at the same time got to hold this thing of saying, I got to have that long-term thing. So while it's so great to have beliefs, you always got to balance the dichotomy. I always say life's a balance, life's a dichotomy. You got to like have those two things in. So I have this wavering conviction that I'm going to finish this race no matter what, but I'm also have this uh, balance side of saying I'm going to pull off when, when necessary in that race. I did the swim. It was, uh, it was not my best swim, but I made it, uh, went onto the bike and honestly the bike felt fine. And then the, but the last like 10 miles, like my leg felt like it was going to snap off. Like it was just, my injury was just flaring up and I was like, Holy Toledo, I got to run a whole marathon now with an injured leg. And I saw all, and again, I mean, it's like, before I mentioned I was alone in Ultraman, all my friends showed up, my girlfriend was there, they were all cheering me on. And I was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to keep going. And I ran most of that marathon with an injured leg. And there was not one step of that entire run that wasn't an agonizing pain. Um, That was probably the most painful run I've ever done in my entire life, but I finished it. And then after that, I had the, uh, an Ironman 70.3. It was about two weeks after that one. 
um, which is half an Ironman distance. And in that moment, again, it was the same kind of thing, just making sure my leg was rehabbed, also making sure to like make myself take care of myself and preserve the longevity. And uh, that race, I mean, again, like, and, and through between these races, I'm going through all these emotions, this anxiety of, you know, like I'm never, I was never as nervous for a race as I was before that first Ironman that I mentioned. And then the second Ironman, because I knew that it was going to hurt so bad. Like I had such bad anxiety and I knew the pain that was in front of me, but I still towed the line and see what I can do. And, uh, the, when I finished that last Ironman, like I did not, I went into that half Ironman thinking I was only going to walk that last half marathon but I ran the entire thing at like a 10 minute pace, which like with an injured leg, honestly, like I'm surprised. And so the, the theme of those last two races and the ones that I always say is like, even in the moments when even objectively, not just talking about the mind or negative thoughts, but objectively, it looks like you can't do something. If you just show up and just see what happens, you're going to surprise yourself. I didn't know I was going to be able to finish that second Ironman. I didn't know I was going to be able to run that half marathon. I genuinely thought I was going to have to walk it because it was so painful but I was able to do it. Now, again, I'm not recommending anyone do these, do anything super injured, but my point is saying like, even in the objective moments where the odds are against you, right? Like if you want to be a professional golfer and kudos to you, Andrew, because I have so much respect for that because I know how freaking hard it is. And um, I've seen it like, but it's a very, very hard goal to get. Now it's not to say it's impossible, but a lot of people won't even go for it because it's such a small thing to do. It's as much a small chance, but you, should show up anyways, right? You've got to show up anyways, and you're going to be able to shock yourself through different things that are get there. And that's at the end of it. And this whole thing I've been documenting and I'm going to put out a YouTube video to kind of document my journey all, all along the way, the highs, the lows, there's plenty of points where I'm crying in there because I'm in so much pain and Hey, I'm not ashamed to show it, but, uh, uh, I'll be releasing a documentary in that early next year. So it'll be uh, super cool. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to watching that. Joe, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that you're a high performer. Um, I get so inspired by watching all of your posts, seeing, seeing what you're doing. Can you just really quickly tell the listeners what you have planned next? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So for me, uh, I announced this on Instagram a few days ago. I'm officially retiring from the sport of triathlon. Uh, this year was really the only year that I dived into triathlon, but, um, as I was going through the process, I realized that I did not like the training and I only liked the races. And for me, a principle that I've gone in my life is if you don't like the process in this case, training for the, uh, triathlons more than you do the outcome, which in this case is the races, you should stop doing that thing entirely. And the reason why I say that is because of two things. Number one, anything in life, whatever goal you're going to, 99% of the entire thing is the process. Think about Olymp. I always think about like Olympic uh, runners, right? When they do like the, I don't even know the meters, right? Like 200 meters or whatever. They're out there for eight seconds. They're out there for eight seconds in the moment in the race that matters, but they're training their entire freaking life for those eight seconds. So when you think about your life, most of your life is the training. It's getting out in the range. It's getting those practice rounds in. It's hitting the gym. It's those kind of things, right? It's doing the work to get to the goal as opposed to the goal itself. So if you hate that process, you're going to hate your life by a turn, logically, right? Because you're going to be like, wow, this sucks and blah, blah, blah. If you're only living for the outcome, 
it's never going to work. So for me, I did not like the process of biking or swimming. So I said, screw that. I'm going to go all in on running. But specifically for me, what I love to do the most is running on trails. So I want to, I'm going all in on trail ultra running and I have a huge race schedule next year. And I not only want to do more ultra marathons, I actually want to win these things. And I want to be one of the best in the entire world on there. Um, it's just something that uh, for me, like I just love it so much that I'm willing to pay the price to take to get to that high level. Um, and I always say that before you make the commitment to be a golf bro, to be the best at something, to be an executive in the job, ask yourself, do I love it enough to go through the difficulty that's going to make there? And so um, that was the conversation I have with myself and I'm going to do that. So next year I have uh, two 100 mile races planned, uh, 100K, 250 milers. Um, I'm doing rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. So for those who don't know, it's running from one rim to the other at 47 miles and like almost uh, like 13,000 feet of elevation gain. It's brutal. Um, and then just going to be just training a ton for it. But right now uh, for the next three weeks, I'm focused strictly on no running rehab and recovering that knee so I can go back stronger and I'm actually working with um, Zach Bitter, who's one of the world's most renowned ultra runners um, to help me get there. And that's why I love what you're doing, Andrew, is, is you're coaching people. And I suggest to anyone who's looking to be at the high level, like find a coach, find someone who's good at those things, because the, the fastest way to success is finding someone who who is doing that thing or has done that thing. Because when you learn from those people, you're able to literally like leapfrog over all the people who are doing it themselves and trying to figure out for themselves. I promise you that. And that's why I hired the coach. That's why I got there. And that's why what I think you're doing, Andrew, uh, with, with the company you're currently working with is, is just truly special. So uh, that's what I got planned for next year. And that's how I'm attacking it. And uh, I couldn't be more excited at this uh, chapter of my life. It's going to be amazing. That's awesome. We're excited for you too, Joe. This has been a great conversation. We've chatted so much. We've chatted about learning the skill of, of choosing your thoughts and, and choosing those, those positive thoughts, choosing to believe them and, and throwing away the negative thoughts. Um, we've chatted about just endurance, pure grit, and, and how you've learned that and how you, you can get through so much adversity, again, by that, that skill of, of thinking that you can and believing that you can, kind of like the little engine that could. That's really awesome. Joe, it, it, it's so inspiring to hear you talk and to see your passion for what you're doing and, and to, to hear that you, you have a love for inspiring other people through your journey. And uh, we really appreciate you hopping on uh, the Core Performance Podcast. Thanks so much for hopping on. Oh, you're, you're welcome, Andrew. And thank you for, for your time, your energy and everything you do out there for athletes who just want to be better and want to, you know, uh, find this path for themselves. Because again, what I think you're doing is super valuable, not just this podcast, but also your work and, and, and your ethos and all the content that you put out too. So uh, it go the thanks goes right back to you, man. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what, what comes from the, from the core performance brand and I'll be following along for sure. Awesome. Joe, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Core Performance Podcast, your one-stop shop for getting to the core of all things golf and human performance. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ian and Andrew, check us out on Instagram at Core Academy. We'll see you next time.